I want to ask you a question this morning. Actually, it's a whole series of questions this morning. Uh, first is this. Would you rather go three days without food or three days without sleep? That's number one. Number two. Would you rather always eat from dirty dishes or always wear dirty clothes? Number three. Would you rather have multiple personalities or no personality at all? Uh-huh. Okay, these are hard, aren't they? There will be a test later. Number four. Would you rather think that you are the greatest or know that you are the worst? Huh? Would you rather be wretched, pitiable, Poor, blind, or naked? How about all of the above? That was the case for one of the churches that received a letter in the book of Revelation, the church at Laodicea. And it says this in Revelation 3.17, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Ah, There are different kinds of blindness, aren't there? There's the kind, the physical kind, where your eyes just do not work well. Or maybe it's the the connection between your eyes and your brain. Your brain isn't able to process or interpret the, uh, the signals that are coming to them. That's one type of blindness. Another type of blindness, though, has to do with understanding. It has to do with awareness. You think that the world is one way, and it's another. You think something to be true, and it's just not. You thought that you studied for the right test, but as you sit down at the desk and you look down at the sheet in front of you, you realize you were mistaken. Or maybe you thought you were a world-class singer. You can't even carry a tune. Or you thought you had plenty of retirement. Now you find out you're going to be working for a long time. You thought that you were in the best of health. You thought that you put on clothes this morning, but then you stand there in the middle of the crowd and realize you were wrong. That's the, that's the dream that I have, the nightmare that I have sometimes. Would you rather be physically blind or the other kind of blind. In Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 52, we find both kinds of blindness, both kinds. And what I believe that God wants us to see today, to see today, he wants us to see why being physically blind is so much better than the other kind of blind. So much better. Why not being able to see the physical world would actually be better than being unaware of a particular poison that exists inside of each and every one of our hearts. And my prayer is that we would leave this place seeing just a bit more clearly than maybe we do even right now. Why is being physically blind so much better than being that other kind of blind? Blind to reality, maybe blind, unseeing to the truth about yourself. 
We're going to look at Mark chapter 10, verses 35. And we're just going to read to verse 45 right now, but would you stand with me as we read from God's word? Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant with, at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, James and John, if you'll remember, they were brothers, and they were a bit of uh, kind of fireballs, all right? When James and John uh, were given the task to be in the Samaritan village and try to find accommodations, and the Samaritans were not wanting them to stay in their village, they asked Jesus, Jesus, can command us to call down fire on these people. We want to toast them for what they're doing to us. They're, that, they're those kind of guys. And they come up to Jesus and they ask him a question that little kids ask of their parents. Something like this. Jesus, we want you to do something for us. Don't worry about what it is. Don't worry about it does. Just tell us that you will give us what we want. Whatever we want. Now, a request like that, it gives off a certain kind of putrid aroma, doesn't it? When my girls come up to me asking for a blank check... I know better than to say, oh, yes, sweeties, I, yes, anything you want. <laughs> Born yesterday. It's not going to happen. I, I may love you, but I also know you. Let's be real here. Now, if you look at the other Gospels, you'll see that it wasn't just James and John that came to Jesus. According to Matthew 20, they brought mom with them too. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Nothing like bringing mom along to add a little weight to the request that's going to be made. What makes things even heavier here is that when you do a little research and a little deduction, you discover that mom is actually a woman by the name of Salome. And Salome just happens to be the sister of Jesus' mother. How's that for leverage? 
Jesus, will you do us do, do, just a little, a little favor here? Actually, whatever we want. No, no pressure, though. Aunt Salome is here, by the way. You wouldn't turn down a request from your, your mom's sister, right? I mean, family first. Come on, Jesus. And James and John, they must have been feeling pretty confident in their request. In fact, that's probably not just because mom was with them, but probably because of the special place that they seem to have in Jesus' inner circle among the 12 that uh, were his disciples. More than once, these guys had been given special privileges. They were with Peter, and just Peter. It was just them and Peter that went up to the mountain and witnessed Jesus transformed and saw his glory. The same was true when Jesus entered the house of Jairus' dead daughter and Jesus raised her to life, Peter, James, and John. Later on, uh, Jesus would pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Guess who he brought with him? Peter, James, and John. Yeah, we're tight with Jesus. How tight? About that tight. We're really tight with Jesus. I think it's pretty clear that when it comes to his inner circle, who's part of the inner, inner circle? That's us. So with mom by their side, they asked Jesus a question. Jesus, will you give us whatever we want? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? We want to sit on your right and on your left in glory. Now, if you'll remember from last week, do you remember what Jesus was talking about? He was talking about what was going to happen when he entered into Jerusalem. Mark 10, 33, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Now, apparently that made them uncomfortable, so uncomfortable that they just want to change the subject entirely. Jesus, we don't quite get all of that, but let's talk about what's going to happen when you take the throne. That's what we want to know about, Jesus, and we want to know if we can be right there with you by your side. We're going to be there, right? It's not hard to get there, is it? Not hard to get there. In fact, it just kind of makes sense. When you've been trying to do everything right, you seem like you've made some progress. In fact, you're getting some recognition for some of the things that you have done. Maybe you're getting some attention from important people, people that matter, and you start thinking that you just might be something special. Maybe a cut above. Maybe someone who is deserving of just a, little, just a little bit more than everyone else. Verse 10 tells us the rest of the disciples, they didn't like that. Not one bit. They were annoyed. They were angry when they heard this. They were indignant. They were beginning to become indignant. Of course they were. We've, we've all been in this together. Jesus called every one of us close to him, and we've all sacrificed to follow Jesus. We've all been learning from him. We've all been listening to him. We've all been trying to do the things that he has called us to. So don't try to pull a fast one on us, James and John. It's no surprise the other disciples were angry. What is surprising 
is that even after all this time that they have spent with Jesus, walking with him, talking with him, learning from his example, they still seem to have yet learned humility. In fact, they were completely blind to, to reality, believing themselves to be somehow worthy of a special honor. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asks. And the request that is made, it reveals a blindness to who they are, who they were, and who Jesus is. Jesus, it seems, became a mean to self-promotion. That, that he was a way that they could get ahead. Yes, they had left everything to follow Jesus. And I don't doubt that they trusted him fully, that they loved him. But there was a, there was a, a certain sickness, a putrid sense of self-superiority lurking deep down inside of them that pushed them to seek a personal notoriety rather than pushing them to just serve with humble gratitude. You know, what, are, what, are, what do our prayers reveal about us? Now, I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to ask Jesus for things, or e even, even physical things, but could it be that some of the things that we ask for are revealing that we've lost sight, just a little bit even, of who we are and who Jesus is? Could it be that we've become visually impaired to the truth about ourselves and that following Jesus has become yet one more way to prop ourselves up over and above other people? I'm more informed. I have a degree. I am more in line. I'm more important. I'm more spiritual. I deserve a higher position in God's pecking order. Let's skip ahead and look at the other kind of blindness. Verse 46 says this. And they came to Jericho. They came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, you notice that Mark gives his name. And it even gives his father's name. Apparently, it seems that, that Bartimaeus may have become a well-known figure in the Christian community. And what's about, what's about to happen to Bartimaeus changed him forever. And it's likely that the, he became an important part of the, of the early church. But right here in Mark 10.46, he's blind. And he's a beggar. Now... There were not a lot of job opportunities for blind people in that day. Blindness, it was a debilitating condition. But it also came with a certain stigma. We talked about that a few weeks ago. If you were blind, people automatically thought that the reason for your blindness must be judgment from God. You must have done something really, really bad to deserve something as bad as being blind. In fact, in John 9... Jesus and his disciples, they pass a blind man on the road. And his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's just, of, of course, somebody sinned here. Someone, who's responsible for this? Because God wouldn't do this to just anybody. Now, we don't know the Bartimaeus backstory. We don't have that. 
We don't know whether or not he was born blind or later became blind. It's possible that he wasn't blind his entire life because what he's going to ask Jesus is to regain his sight. The other big unknown is that we don't know whether or not he did something to deserve being blind. We, don't, we just don't know. It's possible he was involved in something that he shouldn't have been. Maybe there was some type of a scheme he was doing. Maybe there was some type of dangerous operation. Maybe he was trying to steal something. And an accident happened. It resulted in him becoming blind. Maybe there were some dark skeletons in his past. Maybe as he sat there on the roadside, seeing nothing, he was haunted by the thought of, if I only didn't do that, or if I only did do that, if I could go back and change something, maybe I'd still have my sight. I wouldn't be left here to beg on the side of the road. But that's all speculation. We don't know. We just don't know. What we do know, though, if the Bible is correct, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and if there's none righteous, no, not one, we know that, like the rest of us, that this blind man was far from innocent. He was a sinner. He was a person who, who failed to do what is right time and time again and in guilty of turning against, walking away from God. Remember, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way rather than God's way. We're turning our own way. Bartimaeus was a sinner. Bartimaeus was blind. Now, there's nothing quite like having a, a debilitating disease or a condition to just rock your world, right? Completely rock your world. The year I was born, there was a 26-year-old American who took flight on the big screen. He became one of the most iconic superheroes of all time. Christopher Reeve was strong, handsome, intelligent, Stepping into that telephone booth, he became invincible, right? But on May 27, 1995, a tragic accident left him confined to a wheelchair and dependent on a ventilator. It was the kryptonite that brought Superman to his knees, changed his life. And there's a lot of room for pride when you're healthy, but when something like this happens, it, it, there's not as much room anymore, is there? When your body's suffered a loss like that, sitting there on the side of the road, reduced to begging just to get by, this man must have felt pretty low. Not the kind of person that we envy. Not the kind of person that you, you tell your kids, hey kids, why don't you be like that guy someday? It's something we avoid at all costs. And yet, the blindness that plagued Bartimaeus was the very thing that led him to the most important moment in his life. It led him to Jesus. Verse 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was walking by, but he knew that Jesus was more than just from Nazareth. He calls out, Jesus, not Jesus of Nazareth. He says, Jesus, son of David. Even though this man couldn't see with his eyes, he could see so much more clearly than so many other people could see who had healthy eyes. He knew that Jesus was none other than the son of David. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew that Jesus was the one they had been waiting for, the one who would fulfill those promises made so long ago to Abraham. That was Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. He also knew something about who he was. He cries, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, you don't ask for mercy unless you believe that you are deserving of something a whole lot worse than mercy. As we said earlier, people would have assumed that this man had done something really, really bad to deserve his blindness. But when Bartimaeus calls out for mercy, he acknowledges that whether his blindness was a direct result of some particular sin in his life or, or something else, he acknowledges, I am a sinner and I need mercy. People try to get him to shut up. Verse 48 tells us, he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. They called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up. I imagine he was just stumbling around trying to make his way to Jesus. He came to Jesus, it says. And that's when Jesus asked this man the same question that he asked James and John. What do you want me to do for you? The question was the same. But the attitudes of the ones who were asking that question, or who he was asking that question, totally different. Completely different. James and John came with a sense of entitlement. They were filled with with some sort of pride. They thought they were better than all the other disciples. Actually, no. They thought that they were better, more deserving than any other person who had ever lived. More important than Abraham. No, we want to sit on your right hand and on your left hand. More important than Moses. More important than King David himself. They were delusional. Completely delusional. That's what pride does, doesn't it? That's what pride does. Last night, once again, I was cut off. Someone cutting over from the left lane. And not only did they cut over, and they didn't speed on ahead, they cut over and slammed on their brakes so that they could slowly turn into the Walmart parking lot. And I, I gently let them know the error of their ways with my horn. And then they showed me a certain finger. I imagine they were pointing to Jesus, but um, I'm not so sure. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, you know, it wouldn't matter who I was. It wouldn't matter if I was the most important person on the planet. They don't care. All they care about is themselves and getting to where they want to go. They are number one. They are most important. And I'm just an obstacle to push out of the way. 
James and John were there. I think they were there. It seems that they had lost sight of the fact that Jesus was their savior. And I think they'd begun to look at him as just a means to self-promotion. The blind beggar, on the other hand, he did what he did best. He begged. He pleaded. He pleaded as one who knew that he was completely undeserving. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. We already mentioned that, that he seems to know that Jesus is the Messiah here. But now he's making it personal. He says, Rabbi, or, or, or Rabboni, which means my master, my great one, my superior one. Even though he couldn't see, he knew who he was. And he knew who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was infinitely superior and glorious compared to himself. He knew that he was completely and utterly undeserving of any help that Jesus could offer. Two requests. Two completely different approaches to getting what they want. Two completely different types of blindness. Let's quickly look how Jesus responds to both of them. To James and John, Jesus says this in verse 38. You do not know what you were asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? I don't know the tone that he asked these questions. Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. They said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit in my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. What James and John had yet to, and not yet come to understand, was that glory in God's kingdom it's dependent on the degree of suffering for his purposes which has been endured. That's how you get glory. How much you have suffered, that's how much glory you're going to get. Drink this cup. That's a phrase from the Old Testament. It's a phrase which simply means to fully experience something. He asked them, are you able to fully experience what I am about to experience? Would they be able to suffer the same way he was going to suffer and to pay for the sins of the world? They didn't seem to realize what he was asking, but they gave the answer that sons of thunder would, would definitely get, yeah, absolutely, we can do it, Jesus. We'll suffer that way. We can drink that cup. And the reality was that they would end up suffering for God's purposes. James would be put to death by Herod Agrippa. He'd be the first of the 12 to be put to death. John would actually be the last of the 12 to be martyred by Emperor Trajan. 
But even so, Jesus isn't the one who gets to decide who gets the place of honor, the places of honor in the kingdom. So here these guys are. They're filled with pride, thinking that they are deserving, when the one who is most deserving essentially says, you know what, even I submit to God the Father. He's the one who prepares these things. And then Jesus goes on to tell them that that God's kingdom, it works in the exact opposite that the way that the kingdom of men and women operates. Verse 42, you know that those who are considered rulers, the Gentiles, lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great, you must, must, <laughs> great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. The rulers of this world, they fight, they claw, they push others down so that they can prop themselves up. It's king of the hill. But greatness in God's kingdom, true greatness, is found in those who get low and serve others. Jesus, of course, would be the ultimate example of that, right? Philippians 2.9, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's exactly what Jesus tries to get through the thick skulls of James and John, right in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. James and John, they came seeking greatness. What they got was a lesson in humility. Bartimaeus, on the other hand, he heard some different words from Jesus. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And we read that immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. It seems to me that it wasn't just his sight, his physical sight that he got that day. But it was the salvation of his soul. The blind and the blind. Would you rather be blind or would you rather be blind? Would you rather not be able to see with your eyes or to be unable to see with your mind and with your heart? It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to have healthy eyes but a soul that is blind to the reality that it is desperately need, needy, it's terribly troubled, that it's deserving of nothing but punishment for its rebellion against God. That's a terrible, terrible thing. And time and time again, the Bible tells us that pride is a sickness. It talks about the consequences of a prideful heart. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Job 35, verse 12, there they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God does not hear an empty cry, nor does the Almighty regard it. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. James and Peter both tell us God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
And remember, we opened with the words of Revelation. You say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Friends, it's, it's possible for individuals to think themselves deserving of God's approval, his recognition, his pat on the back. At the same time, it's very possible for people, a people that have been gathered together as his church to do the same. Even after we've come to Jesus saying, Jesus, we need you. We know that we've made ourselves enemies of you. We know that we're deserving a punishment. We know that we have willingly made ourselves your enemies. Have mercy on us. Totally undeserving, wretched, hopeless people. Even after we confessed those things and have experienced forgiveness and the indwelling of his spirit, we're being transformed like James and John. We can forget the place from which we've come. We can begin to think that God owes us something. That he's lucky to have us. Maybe even that his kingdom might begin to crumble a little were it not for us. To think that would be to have your eyes dulled and spiritual blindness begin to set in. Let's never forget that those who truly see are those who know who they are in light of who Jesus is. And let's not forget that true greatness in God's kingdom, the only kingdom, by the way, which really matters, it's measured by how much you have lost for the sake of others. Physical blindness, it's, it's better than a heart that is blinded by pride. And that's because, like so many ailments and disabilities that are out there, it, it, it points us to our neediness. And maybe, just maybe, God will use that very thing to bring us to our knees and looking in the direction of our one and only hope. We read it last week, health is a good thing. It is a good thing. We pray for good health. We try to preserve our health. Sickness is better if it leads us to God. In the case of this blind man, his ailment was the very thing that gave him sight. He may have been blind, but his blindness led him to a, a vision of himself and a vision of the Messiah that is clearer than so many people that have 20-20 vision have. May the Lord open our eyes and keep them open, right? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we love, Lord, your word, which presents to us this morning a very, very simple message, and yet it is, it is key, it is core, it is fundamental to our rebellion against you, Lord. All sin is wrapped up in pride, in us thinking that we're better, we know better. We're going to go our own way rather than our Creator's way. Pride lurks, Lord. It lurks within our hearts. 
and it comes out in so many different ways. Lord, would you, would you shine light upon whatever darkness remains in our, in our souls? Bring it to light. Lord, may we lay it at your feet and allow you to continue that work of transformation that you're doing, that sanctifying work that you are doing inside of each and every one of us. Weed out the pride that is left in our hearts, Lord. The pride that even led me to jump all over that person who caught me off. Lord, may I, may we be a humble people who continually recognize that we are sinners saved by the grace of God. And may that lead us, Lord, to worship you with everything that we've got and to humbly love and serve and be patient with others that they too might come to know you. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.